Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. True story from World War II. The pilot glanced outside his cockpit and froze. He blinked hard and looked again, hoping it was just a mirage, but his co-pilot stared at the same horrible vision. My God, this is a nightmare, the co-pilot said. He's going to destroy us, the pilot agreed. The men were looking at a gray German Messerschmitt fighter hovering just three feet off their wingtip. It was five days before Christmas, 1943, and the fighter had closed in on their crippled American B-17 bomber for the kill. The B-17 pilot Charles Brown was a 21-year-old West Virginia farm boy on his first combat mission. His bomber had been shot to pieces by swarming fighters, and his plane was alone in the skies above Germany. Half his crew was wounded, and the tail gunner was dead, his blood frozen in in icicles over the machine guns. But when Brown and his co-pilot Spencer Luke looked at the fighter pilot again, something odd happened. The German didn't pull the trigger. He just nodded at Brown instead. What happened next was one of the most remarkable acts of chivalry recorded during World War II, as the German pilot waved and then turned his plane away. Years later, Brown would track down his would-be executioner for a reunion that reduced both men to tears. Uh, What those two pilots of that bomber experienced that day in Germany was mercy. You and I have experienced mercy on, on probably a number of different occasions, so many times so that I fear we as believers have, t- have tended to take mercy for granted, assuming that because God is merciful and because I've experienced it so many times at his hand, it goes unnoticed anymore. It goes often un- unappreciated anymore. And so I want to take us back there as opposed to this, uh, this idea of God being fair to look today at God being merciful. First Peter is where we're going to begin. We're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 1, Romans chapter 9, Ephesians chapter 2 and Luke chapter 6 together. So the text will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, we're in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. First thing I want us to see today is that a merciful God makes a merciful promise. He makes a merciful promise. In his great mercy, he said, he's given us new birth. Now, do you remember parents, uh, uh, your parents' promises to you if you were out someplace or, uh, or in church as a kid? You know, playing, doing something you shouldn't do in church, you're going to get it when you get home. You're going to get it. Or if you behave, you know, after this event, we'll go get ice cream. Well, whether it was ice cream promise or you're going to get it promise when you get home, you, you lived, your, your life was in, in anticipation. From that spoken moment, your life was in anticipation of that promise being revealed and, and realized, whether it was for your good or your bad. And all of us remember those kinds of things. These are two pivotal promises that he makes here in this passage in 1 Peter. Uh, The first of which is this. He says that 
uh, you're going to have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. A living hope, meaning that it's not hope as many in this world who serve Buddha and and Islam and, and so many others. Their God is dead. Ours is very much alive today as we sit here this morning. And our hope is in living God. Consequently, that living hope uh, falls down and trickles down to us. The second promise is, is that it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Never perish, spoil, or fade. Meaning it's, it's not animal, it's not vegetable, it's not mineral. It is spiritual. This inheritance that he says here. So this living hope and this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, these aren't ice cream promises or you're going to get it when you get home promises. These promises are eternal. I want you to see the nature of these promises, that they're, they're, they're eternal and they apply to every believer, every follower of Jesus. Notice in verse 3 that they're both tied to his great mercy, meaning his immense, his immeasurable mercy. These promises are tied to, to great mercy, he says. So if you know Jesus, you're promised to live again. If you know Jesus, you're promised to inherit this great promise that he talks about here, of, of uh, this eternal promise that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So uh, here's a question I want to ask. What is there in your life that isn't worth enduring, that isn't worth, worth persevering, that isn't worth wading through to realize that promise on the back end? What is there in your life that isn't worth some suffering, isn't worth uh, a hard, some hard places, maybe even for years and sometimes even decades, that isn't worth realizing those two promises, that I'm going to live again because I know him and I have an inheritance coming my way that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What is there that's not worth that to you? Uh, and it's certainly because we don't deserve it. It's because of his great mercy, his great, great mercy. Now, turn to Romans chapter 9. I want you to see in this passage from Romans what he says here, verses uh, 14 to 16 of Romans chapter 9. 14 to 16 says this, Then what shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. In essence, he's saying, I'll direct where my mercy goes. That's what, that's what the second thing that, that a merciful God says. He says he makes a merciful promise, and he directs where the mercy goes. This is God saying, in essence, I'll direct where, when, to whom, and how much mercy is dispensed. I'm the one that decides that. I'm the one that, that, that understands. I'm the distributor. And so the, the distributor of mercy has, the, has the, the say of where it goes, how much it goes. Um, and, and there is a never-ending supply. Lamentations 3 says his mercies are new every morning. Again and again and again and again. There's an unending supply of that. And so if that's the case, why is it God's mercy always distributed equally to everybody in every situation? Why is that not the case? Well, a couple of reasons I can think of. You, you may think of more, but a couple. One is this, is that we serve and know a sovereign God, meaning that God is all-knowing, that he's omnipotent, he is all-powerful, and that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. We serve a sovereign God. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks, God's sovereignty. But we serve a God who sees the corner we've just come around and sees the next one we're about to turn around. And he, because he knows that, he knows where mercy is needed the most and dispenses it where it's needed the most. Second reason I can think of is that 
If mercy is expected or deserved or we feel entitled to it, it seldom teaches us the lesson that mercy should teach. If we feel it's ours, we own it, it's, we're entitled to it, as I started the message by saying, we've experienced it so much we often take it for granted. Because that's true, mercy often loses the lesson that it's designed to teach us about itself and about God. So when we are entitled to it, we lose that. How do we know that? Well, verse 16 speaks to that. He says, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. He's saying there that God's mercy has nothing to do with our effort. We talked last week about the list and the scales. Burn the list and throw the scales in the garbage. He's saying here, it doesn't depend on human effort. It's not, it's not what you do, it's what I do. It's not based on your, your behavior. It's based on what I, what I know to be best for you in that moment and in that season. So if I'm in a situation where it's, and get, don't miss this. If I'm in a situation where it seems God's mercy is nowhere to be found, instead of looking for mercy, I need to be looking for both the lesson and the Lord. Did you get that? If I'm in a situation where it seems God's mercy is nowhere to be found, Forget looking for mercy and start to look for the lesson that mercy teaches and look for the Lord that's behind it. When I start to look for those two things, I'm going to find mercy. When I start to look for mercy, I may, I may lose both. If I'm looking for the Lord, if I'm looking for the lesson, I'll see mercy in the end as well. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. There's some discipline involved in how we, how we process life, how we see situations, how we see our own self-worth compared to his. That's not an easy thing to do. But when we teach ourselves that, when we teach ourselves that, that discipline, as I say, we'll see both mercy and the lesson in the Lord in that. Merciful God directs uh, where mercy goes. Thirdly, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if you will. And I want us to see in verses 1 to 5 this next truth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Third thing is this, that a merciful God redeems us in mercy. His mercy is redemptive. He redeems us in mercy. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Now, in order to understand and appreciate the power of the mercy of God, we have to get a clear picture of just how deep our lostness is. We get a picture of how deep our lostness is, we get a clear picture of God's mercy. Paul's saying here that following the thoughts and desires of our sinful nature leads us to a place where we are deserving God's wrath that he speaks to there in verse 1. He says that leads us ultimately to death, that death is the ultimate uh, payment for our sin and, and, and is, is the evidence of God's wrath, death being the punishment of it, is what he's saying here. But look what mercy does. Mercy uh, is takes that dead man and reaches down and grabs that dead corpse, mercy does, and pulls us back up. He, he is saying here that you, you may feel and seem dead, but you are no longer dead when mercy is applied to your life because mercy redeems us. Mercy rescues us, uh, he says there. And not just 
in any any style of life, but we we just saw in in First Peter uh, that this, there, merciful these promises that he that he gives us that we'll never die again, that we'll inherit a, have an inheritance and never perish, spoil, or fade. Um, that's those are significant things to be rescued from and rescued for. He says here in this passage. So, the power of God's mercy, the power of that that mercy's redeeming work, is not only a once and forever thing. It's a daily and forever thing. Don't miss that. The power of God's mercy, and it is powerful, is not just a once and forever thing. It is a daily and forever thing. We can never exhaust it. There's nothing we can ever do to get away from it or be out of its grasp. You were made alive at salvation, he says here, and you're kept alive by the power of the mercy of God. You're made alive at salvation and kept alive by the power of the mercy of God. Now, that is both uh, profound yet simple theology. If you can get your mind around the mercy of God, good luck with that. Because <laughs> I've been trying for decades to get my mind around the mercy of God. But yet, I understand its power in my life because it has redeemed me and continues to redeem me daily as I, as I step away from God, as I sin, as, I'm, as, I, as I step away from my relationship with him and my intimacy with him. He redeems and redeems and redeems by way of his mercy. There's an unending supply of that. And he continues to do that. That is a profound truth. Yet it is very simple, as he puts here in Ephesians chapter 2. Finally, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And we'll look together, if you will, at verses 32 to 36. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who, from, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Be kind, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Have you ever wondered how God can look at this world and, and its brokenness and its rebellion from him and its disdain for him, actually, and not just wipe us out? That amazes me. Uh, uh, year to year, as, as I see this progression of, of, of our movement away from God, our movement away from any sense of morality, any sense of truth and right and wrong, as I see God looking on that, I wonder, why, why don't you just wipe us out? Our, our love for you is fading. It seems that it is as the, from the body. Our, our, our commitment to you as a nation is, is all but gone. Why do you tolerate us? Why don't you just wipe it? Why don't, why don't you, why aren't you, why aren't you through with us? Uh, I feel that way sometimes, and I wonder why that's the case. But th verse 35 says, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's exactly why he don't wipe us out, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, this call in verse 35 to love your enemies isn't talking about uh, the gators or the crimson tide or... Uh, it's not talking about those kind of things at all. It's talking about folks who hate you, folks who disdain you. In fact, let me take it a step further. It's talking about folks who've hurt your kids. 
who've hurt somebody you care about, somebody you love, forgiving them and seeing the redemptive work of God, his mercy applied to them. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of gets where you live, doesn't it? It gets, it gets where we walk and where we, where, we, where we rub shoulders with folks that, that may not want what is best for us or best for those who love us or that we love. That's a, that's a decidedly different proposition than, than, you know, being against Florida or against Alabama or something. But, but folks who want to do us harm and want to shut us up order the same thing for our kids or our loved ones. Um, if you want a picture of, of, the, of this kind of mercy and this kind of love, we need to only look at the cross and Jesus hanging there and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They've got no clue what they're a part of. Forgive them for what they're, what they're doing here today. Um, who wanted to put him to death, who mocked him, who beat him, uh, who spat upon him, uh, and, and his, his mercy says, forgive them, forgive them. Uh, then comes the promise here in, in this passage. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High. What a promise. Your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. We've seen God's mercy toward us, and it isn't because we're worthy of it, because we're not. Um, but just as we've experienced his mercy, we're to give, be distributors and give that mercy away. Listen to what James 2 says. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow, what an incredible truth. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why? Because God is, God is both just and merciful. And if he was not merciful, you and I would experience his judgment, but he is merciful today, and I'm glad that's the case. So, as we wrap, Given the choice between a fair God and a merciful God, you see where this is going. Choose the merciful God. You don't want, trust me, you don't want the fair God. You want the merciful God, not the fair one. And then this world will see the choice we make by the mercy we show. If we are receivers of mercy, we just looked at in Luke 6, we're to be givers and distributors and funnels of mercy out of our lives and back to others. They'll see, they'll see the choice we've made about mercy, but how much mercy we show. I want to ask you this question. Who is there in your world that doesn't deserve mercy? Who is there in your world that doesn't deserve mercy, that, that, that has hurt you so deeply that it's just, I can't get there, Tim. I can't get there to show mercy back to them. I've been hurt so deeply. Could it be that that God has placed them in your world, has placed them there so that they can be the very ones who need it and the very ones who experience his mercy by way of you? Could it be that God's placed them in your world only to receive mercy from you and then get his mercy by how you've given them his mercy? Could that be true today? I imagine it's probably true of a lot of us. And I want to remind you this, that Life's too short to hold a grudge. And eternity is too long to regret it. Whoever there is in your world today that needs to be shown mercy, it's so difficult for you to think about, how can I get, I, I just can't get my mind around reducing myself small enough to pour mercy back into their life because they don't deserve it, in my, in my opinion. And that's the very ones that he's talking about in these passages to say, pour that back into those who, 
God is merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. And he, and he calls us to that same kind of mercy as well. To those who, who seemingly wouldn't deserve it and in our own mind are unworthy of it. Those are the very ones he's called us to show mercy to. Let's pray. Father, today you have been merciful to us. Each of us in this room are standing and sitting recipients of your mercy. We are, in fact, we're toast without it. We, we are empty and void of anything of value. We can't redeem ourselves. Only the mercy of God can do that. And so as you have, have taken dead men and women and reached down and grabbed us by the nap of the neck and pulled us out of the grave by way of your mercy and set us at the right hand of the Father to inherit what you inherit, to, be lit, to live again as you lived again and live even now. As you remind us of that great mercy that redeems us, that protects us, that directs us, Help us to seek that every day. Help us to, to, to find your mercy in the, in the little things, in the small things that we would otherwise overlook. And then, more importantly, help us to be funnels of it. Help us to squeeze out the sponge this week and let mercy rain down on folks around us. Folks around us that seemingly on the surface don't deserve it. Um, that, that really feel put off by it, maybe. Help us to seek to show mercy and to show your love to those kinds of folks because that's what you came to do and that's what, you, what you've done in us and what you've called us to do in the lives of others. Mercy, your mercy is a deep and profound truth, but yet it's so simple even a child can understand forgiveness. Even, even, even a child can understand a second chance and you've given us that and do again and again and again. Now, Help us to model that this week and look like that and talk like that and think like that to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.